Hi, my name is Mark Riggins, and I'm the senior pastor here at LifePoint Church. Thank you for joining us today. If you'd like a little more information about our church, check out lpchurch.us. I hope today's message is an encouragement to you. Well, good morning, everybody. Uh, as uh, Dennis said, we're going to kick off a new series today going through the book of Philippians. The reason why we love this book is because it's about a topic that many of us desire but few of us experience this idea of joy and one of the things that we like to do in a lot of our series is really have a verse that the whole series anchors around and uh, if you come each week you will have this verse memorized at the end and we believe if you put the verse to memory it'll do you a lot of good because that's the way God's word does it really helps us in our day-to-day -day life so I'm going to say this once and then I'm going to ask you to say it out loud it's Philippians 4 verses 4 through 5 and it says, rejoice in the Lord always, I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all, the Lord is near. Philippians 4, 4 through 5. Would you say that out loud with me? Say that. Rejoice in the Lord always, I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all, the Lord is near. Philippians 4, 4 through 5. Yeah. Well, today as we begin this series, I am really glad that you're here because we get to talk about something that we can all agree we all love. We love to see it. We love to experience it. We love it when people that we love are experiencing joy. If there's one thing we can agree in, it's that we love joy. In fact, as a nation, we've kind of decided that it's our right to have joy, to be happy. Because in the Declaration of Independence, it kind of concludes with this sentence that says that we have the right, we have the we have the opportunity here to pursue life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. It is who we are as a people. It is in the founding documents of our nation. We love this. You know what? Everyone wants joy, and I believe everyone is on a joy quest. It is what we spend so much of our life pursuing joy. We don't even realize it so many times we're pursuing joy, and that's the the most elusive thing we could possibly pursue. So let me ask you a real personal question. What gives you joy? What gives you joy? Now, my family and I went to the state fair this past Thursday night, which for a lot of people gives them joy. We aren't one of the, I'm not one of those people. Uh, I do like it. I enjoy it. Uh, but once every four or five years, I've concluded is enough. Uh, but I will say a corn dog from the state fair gives me joy. Uh, all the other things, not so much, but that is solid. Like you just got it, like that feels like, okay, I'm Texan. That feels like every time I have a bite of that, I'm good. Uh, but what gives you joy? Is it like the mountaintop experience, like when the Rangers win a playoff game, you like joy. And then when they lose a playoff game, you're in the valley, joy gone. Like what is it that happens? Like when you're a kid, it's like opening the present right at the Christmas party it feels good joy or maybe you think of walking hand in hand with somebody that you really care about on a beach sunset you feel like that's joy like what is it that you picture when you get joy because what happens is those toys that you got in that Christmas moment eventually rust right or sometimes the relationship ends and then is joy gone like how is it that it's so elusive this thing that we're all kind of chasing and all of us can remember moments that we were happy and we had some joy and then we all have experienced maybe some of you are there where joy is gone and it feels like it's super fleeting what gives you joy because a lot of us will waste a lot of years and a lot of money chasing something chasing someone 
only to find that it's so elusive. Why is it so elusive? Is that the way God designed us? Is that the way he wants us to experience life where joy feels so elusive? Some of you know from Marie Kondo on Netflix, she's always asking this question, what sparks joy, right? Whatever doesn't spark joy, she says, get rid of it. What sparks joy for you? What would you say gives you joy? And if you're new here, maybe you're not a Christian, you're kind of stepped in just to check it out. You may even think, well, you know what I find interesting is when I look at Christians, I don't see joy. You might look at Christians and even say, you know what, when I know the people that I know that follow Jesus, they actually seem a little bit frustrated. They seem a little angry at times. They seem to be known more for what they're against than who they're for. And, and I'm kind of confused that somebody would follow Jesus and, and, and lack so much joy. And the truth is, we struggle with this too. Unfortunately, sometimes in our culture, joy and Christian are like an oxymoron. And I don't think that's the way Jesus ever intended but this isn't just a Christian struggle, this is a human struggle. Like culturally, we look around and we see more division, more discouragement, more depression. Uh, we, we see a lack of joy overall. And the sad thing that breaks all of our hearts, I think, is that we see a lot of people chasing joy. They don't find joy. And after a while, if you chase it long enough, you will become so discouraged that you'll become dejected not believing that joy is even possible. And you get to a new place where you don't think that joy could ever be yours. And so what is this thing called joy and why is it so elusive? Well, whatever you would say, here's what I know you can answer. You can name the thing that you think right now is keeping you from joy. That's the easy part. That's always the first place to start. In other words, how would you fill in this blank? If only I had blank, then I'd have joy. How would you fill that in? Now, you know the answer to this whatever you fill the blank, it's probably not 100% true, but it's the way we naturally gravitate toward thinking. If only I had blank, like if only I had a debt-free life, then I'd have joy, right? Or if only I had uh, a loved one get healthy, then I'd have joy. If only I had something that was taken from me back, then I'd have joy. If only I had independent wealth, if only I owned my own business, right? In other words, the way most of us would fill in this blank, if we're honest, is if only I could change my circumstances, then I'd have joy. Then life would be good enough for me to be happy again. Then I would be in the place of finding the thing we all want but find so hard to get joy. Now, meanwhile, we continue to chase something that we know won't give us joy. All of us are this way. I mean, again, it's a gravitational pull. You know that that raise at work won't give you joy, but you're chasing it. You know that that person won't give you joy, but you may be chasing them. You know that, that, uh, that, that, that a pile of money or that new car will give you joy, but you chase it. So how do I stop chasing the things that I know won't give me joy, right? Like there's a gravitational pull to go, yeah, but... I still want those things. I still want that thing. I still want the bigger house. Even though I know in the end it won't give me joy. It's like when I get the upgrade of the phone and all of a sudden I have this rush, like this is so great, but it's the exact same rush I had three years ago when I got the previous phone and it didn't last. I know this won't last, like, but I still chase it. I can't wait till the new upgrade comes out. Like how is it that I keep chasing things that I know won't give me joy? I think it is a gravitational pull, but for you, what is that thing? And how do you stop chasing it, knowing it won't give you joy? Because no matter how much we acquire and how much we achieve, in all of us, there is a joy void. 
And that's what Paul is going to talk about in this great, great book. And so over the next four weeks, we're going to look at the book of Philippians, and we're going to look at this man named the Apostle Paul. And as we look at this story, as you look at what he wrote, what we're going to do is we're going to find out about joy, a joy that transcends our circumstances and a joy that can carry us through those dark seasons that some of you may be in right now. I want us to study this book together. And if you've got your Bibles, would you open them to the book of Philippians? The book of Philippians, we're going to look at the background here of this great, great book. It's toward the back of your Bibles. The book of Philippians is written by a man named the Apostle Paul. Now, Paul is probably the most unlikely person to write about joy, and yet he's probably the most qualified person. Think about uh, Paul as he is writing about uh, the book or writing about this topic of joy, he doesn't seem like he should be the one writing about it. You ever known somebody who, who has a little bit of joy and it's a little bit sticky, it's a little bit syrupy, and they just kind of, they just kind of make you sick? You know those kind of people, right? A couple of you are nodding your head. Uh, you, you know, it's the kind of person that, that they, they probably mean well, but they're always just a little bit too bright. They're, they're a little bit too, you know, like sparkly. And it feels like their life is so problem-free and they're the kind of person, they have perfect teeth. You know what I'm talking about? Those kind of people. They feel like they have the charmed life and you're like, wait a minute, I don't know if I can relate to that. I don't know if I can like, grow from that. Well, that isn't Paul. Paul is not the person with the charmed life. Paul is the kind of person who's had one trouble after another. Paul is the one, if you remember, who he was persecuting Christians before he became a believer. He was arresting them. In some cases, he was authorizing their execution. Like he was the antithesis of what you would call joy. But something happened on what is often called in the book of Acts, the road to Damascus, where he had this dramatic conversion and he immediately turned his whole life around to follow Jesus. But it wasn't as if his life got problem-free. Instead, he began to go on a mission for Jesus around the Mediterranean realm, telling everyone about this resurrected Jesus who changed his life. And in doing that, he was, res he was uh, rejected. He was kicked out of towns. He was the one who was beaten. He was uh, some tried to threaten to kill him. He, he was arrested at times. He was put into these first century prisons. Like whatever Paul had, you would not call it a charmed life. He feels like the least likely person to write about joy. And yet here he is doing exactly that. So as we pick up the book of Philippians, Paul is un, he's arrested again, but now instead of in a prison cell, he's under house arrest meaning he's actually going to be arrested for a long period of time while he's awaiting trial before Caesar's court. And while he's awaiting trial, he actually writes some letters. He writes some Christians that he had met before when he was on that missionary trip around the Mediterranean realm. And while he writes these letters, there are four letters that he writes that scholars call these New Testament letters his prison letters or his prison epistles. And Philippians is one of them. There's Ephesians, there's Philippians, there's Colossians, and there's Philemon. And Philippians is the one we're going to look at, knowing the whole time that Paul is writing this while he is chained to a guard, or he at least has a guard near him 24-7 as he's awaiting trial or the hearing before Caesar's court. The theme of this letter that we're going to look at, the book of Philippians, is joy. There's, it's a short little letter. It's only four chapters. There's 104 verses. Out of the 104 verses, 16 of them deal with joy or rejoicing. 
Out of the 104 short verses, 40 of them mention Christ Jesus. It's as if Paul is reminding us that joy and Jesus Christ go hand in hand. Now Paul, he's writing this letter, but he's writing to a specific group of people, and this is important. He's writing to a group of people in the city of Philippi, which is in Macedonia. And the reason he's writing to these people is because about 10 years earlier, he had started a church with brand new Christians, non-Jewish Gentile people who didn't know or follow this resurrected Jesus. And because of Paul's missionary journey, he starts this church in Philippi. And they seem to have had a special bond, he and these people. Ten years later, when he's under house arrest, he's writing them. You can see on this map kind of where Philippi is located. It's just north of the Aegean Sea there. And Philippi, he's a long way because remember... Paul, when he's writing this letter, he's in Rome. And though he's under house arrest, he's still able to have outside communication. And he can't help, his mind goes back to these people that he had a special bond with. And he begins to write back to these people in Philippi. These are newer Christians. And he's writing about joy. And unlike most letters, the book of Philippians is not Paul trying to address like a theological issue. He's not trying to solve a complex problem or deal with a specific sin. He's just expressing and encouraging joy. Why? Because the people of Philippi in the first century are just like you and I in the 21st century. They didn't know how to stop chasing the things they knew wouldn't give them joy. And in that context, Paul begins, he has such a heart for him to write about this topic that is so elusive that all of us will spend years and lots of money trying to chase. And Paul, the most unlikely person, wants us to know some fundamental truths about joy. So let's open up the book of Philippians. How do you have joy in every circumstance? How do you have joy that can carry you through the dark season that many of you may find yourselves? All of us will find ourselves there again. Well, Paul is about to address it. He gives his normal opening in the first two verses. And then in verse 3, he begins to talk specifically about it. Philippians chapter 1, verse 3, he says, I thank my God every time I remember you. Remember, he's writing to these people in Philippi. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray, say these next two words with me, with joy. Why? Because of, say these next two words with me, your partnership. I pray with joy, I have joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, over a decade now. And here he says, and I am being confident, even where I find myself, I am confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Paul is encouraged because of this prayerful partnership he has with these other people. Now, I just want a quick side note. Dennis just mentioned it a while ago. I want to reinforce it again tonight when we get together at Gather, which we do it, uh, tonight at 5.30. That's what it is. It is a prayerful partnership where we come together and we pray beside each other and we pray for each other. We align our hearts align our will, and submit before the Father. It's a beautiful picture of what Paul said gave him joy. It is a partnership when we come together. Now, here's the thing. You would have expected when Paul says, hey, by the way, I'm under house arrest, and I have joy here. You would expect him to say, oh, he has joy because he has a roof over his head, because he has food, because he has safety, because he has provision, 
Maybe if it were us in the 21st century, we'd say, oh, well, I have joy because I have a 5,000 square foot house. I have joy because I have the new car. I have joy because I have the corner office or the big 401k. But he says, Paul says, no, none of that. I have joy because of our partnership. If you want to have joy in every season, even the season you're in, it begins with recognizing your need for partnerships. Recognizing your need for partnerships. You weren't designed to do this life on your own. And if you're like me, I have a gravitational pull away from the the cost of relationship toward the cost of possessions. There's just a funny gravitational pull in my heart and life. And Paul is going, no, no, no. The joy that I have when life really gets tough is knowing that I have people that are partnering with me in the gospel. I'm not doing this alone. I am not intended to do it alone. You know, I found there are two groups of people who will sometimes say, oh, I do life alone. I don't need partnerships. I don't need anybody. I I I can do this on my own. There are kind of two types of people who will say that. One is the type of person who's actually inundated with relationships, and they don't know what it's like to be isolated, and they're kind of saying that out of ignorance. But the other kind of person is the one that scares me the most is the kind of person who actually can't fix their isolation. They don't know how to fix it. And so they claim to be fine because they don't know how to change their isolation. And that's dangerous. Paul reveals, no, no, no. When we recognize our need for partnership and we pursue partnerships, that's when we find joy, even in the dark seasons of life. We're better together. Now, that is why, as a church, We keep talking about this vision about belonging, where anyone can belong even before they believe, that we realize that we have been designed for partnership. We were never designed to do it alone. And we want that for you. I want that for me. I'll just be honest with you. I'm selfish. I want that for me. But I want it for you too, that you are better when you're with people, when you have partnerships that's why we we keep pushing groups and we'll always keep pushing groups is because we know that you will be better and that God has designed you to be in relationship we really believe circles are better than rows that partnerships are better than possessions but we also know it's not easy in fact if you're here and you say look in fact if you're new just know we're not asking anything from you today so you can just know you can just sit and relax and and listen if you're if you come regularly say you know what I tried a group one time I had a bad experience just know so did I maybe you'd say you know what I I joined up for one of those groups this fall and 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 I'm finding it hard to get there at times well just know so am I in in fact this past Wednesday night uh, I say this hesitantly because uh, Daryl and Jen whose house we were at are here and uh, they're smiling, so hopefully that'll, that'll continue. So last Wednesday night, I'll, I'll be honest with you, Ginger and I, it was a Wednesday night, and it was hard. You know, it was like a hectic day like many of you have. It was, and, she, and we're juggling schedules in cars, which we're always kind of doing. We got a bunch of drivers and not very many cars, and so we're always figuring out who's going with who. And that day, same kind of deal. Ginger's leaving work like at 545, and, and she's coming to the church, linking our son. He's dropping her off, and she gets here, and Oh, we got grouped that night, you know, so it's kind of one of those things, kind of like going to the gym. It's like, oh, do we go? Yeah, we probably ought to go. And so we get there, and we're a minute or two late. And I'll be honest, we come dragging in, take a deep breath, and we go through the front door. And a couple hours later, we leave group feeling so encouraged because we ate a meal together, because we shared together, 
because we prayed together. We prayed for each other that night. And when we left together that night, Ginger and I said, oh, I love our group. And one of the things that we continue to discover after all these years is it's so hard to prioritize partnerships, but it's so worth it. And Paul in this moment is saying partnerships are better than possessions. Circles, I would just say as a church, are better than rows. And you got to pay the cost sometimes. Doesn't ever, I rarely feel like I want to go, and I'm always glad I went. It's what I need, and Paul says it's how we find joy. It's why as a church, we design all of kids' ministry and student ministries around this, from top to bottom, from beginning to end. It's all around getting people in circles. It's all around getting people in partnerships. And Paul says, if you are serious about having joy in any circumstances, even where you are today, then you have to be serious about prioritizing partnerships or relationships. But now let's deal with the other thing. The other thing that we're all thinking, the other thing that's hard to resist, and that is the thinking that says, well, I will have joy when my circumstances change, when I'm no longer here, when I'm no longer dealing with this thing. And all of us have the thing right now in our life that we think if this weren't that way, I didn't think my story would go like this. I didn't think God would let, let this be in my lap. I didn't think this would be something. I had a different dream, and now here I am. How do I have joy? The temptation is always to change the circumstance, right? Boy, that's the way we all think, and I love that Paul deals with that. Look at verse 7. He goes on to say, he's still talking about these people that he loves, this partnership that God's given him. He says, it is right for me to feel this way about you, people of Philippi new Christians, since I have you in my heart and, watch what he says, whether I am in chains, that's one circumstance, or if I'm defending and confirming the gospel, it's a different circumstance. No matter the circumstance, he says, all of you share in God's grace with me and God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. Now, remember, Paul, of all people, had every right to not have joy right now. Think about him. He wanted to go to Rome. He always wanted to go to Rome, but he wanted to go as a preacher, but he's going as a prisoner. And on his way, he was shipwrecked. If anybody had a right to not have joy, it's Paul, right? And yet here he is, in these circumstances, expressing and encouraging joy. And watch what he says in verse 12. Why? Even under house arrest, he has joy. He says, now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to, and before we fill in the blank, I want you to think of how you would have filled in the blank. You know, this, this question that we all have is, well, why did this happen to me? Why am I dealing with these circumstances? Why did it have to be this way? Why did he do that? Why did she say that? Why am I here? Why... Can I have joy in this circumstance? It makes no sense. Paul is in that place where it's like, hey, why did this happen to me? And he could have been tempted to fill into this blank. Hey, church at Philippi, hey, friends, I know you're praying for me, but you can kind of stop now because I'm arrested and I'm not going anywhere anytime soon. It's not looking very good. I don't know why this has happened to me. I don't know if God is still good. I don't know if he's even real. I need the circumstances to change before I can have joy. That's how he could have filled in this place. Or he could have been on the flip side, and this is equally unhelpful. You know those who have the positive platitudes, the people who say, 
you know what? I'm going to find positive here. I I believe this is the moment to pull myself up by the bootstraps. I I believe everything happens for a reason. Hey, if it doesn't kill you, it makes you stronger. You know, those kinds of people who are always saying the positive platitude, but it's not actually helpful. Paul didn't fill in the blank. Watch why he says he has joy even under house arrest. He says... He is able to have joy. This happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. He didn't say anything about his own comfort, his own preference, his own desires, his own dreams, his own expectations. He didn't even address that. He said, but what I can tell you is this God who I met on the Damascus Road, who I've been telling everybody about the Mediterranean Uh, realm including you people of Philippi 10 years later as I find myself under house arrest I can tell you that he is continuing to advance the gospel that's a different way to look at life isn't it is this advancing the gospel this is the question that Paul his circumstances didn't even change you say well how did it advance the gospel being under house arrest to me that's the, the obvious question well look at verse 13 it says Paul says as a result It has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters who have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. In other words, Paul is saying, hey, you know why I have joy? I have a captured audience. These guards think that I'm chained to them. They're chained to me. And I'm telling them all about my story and what Christ did for me and to me and through me. And they have to listen. And when they keep changing out the guard, guess what? The next guard comes and I tell them about Jesus. And after a while, the whole palace guard knows. Many of them have become followers. And now some of them are even telling others about Jesus. I have joy here because this is clearly where God wanted me. I continue to be faithful to him. And I'm already seeing evidence of what he's doing, what he must have been up to in putting me in this place it is even here that he is advancing the gospel and that Paul says gives me joy wow in that moment what Paul is demonstrating for those first century people in Philippi and for us here in the 21st century is that circumstances can't prevent my joy when I am confident that God is with me And that God is continuing to be in control. I don't know about you, this is the hardest thing to grab and then to hold on to. Because my eyes focus on my circumstances, what I thought would happen, what I want to happen, and what I'm going to change. And Paul was able to enter into this moment and to trust that God was still in charge and had a purpose for him in his unexpected place, experiencing the unexpected hardship. And he was able to say, somehow, someway, God is advancing the gospel right here. It is tempting to think, isn't it? Well, I'll be happy when I'm healed. I'll be happy when he apologizes. I'll be happy when my child improves, when I finish this project at work, when I get a job, when I get married, when I get remarried, when, my, when I have a child or when my child turns out 
and gets kind of back on the, a direction in life that we hope for. Like all these things, and Paul says, no, right here, house arrest, no one wants that, and yet I have joy because God is advancing his. Paul says, even in difficult circumstances, I can have confidence because God I trust is in charge, and I believe I can trust him in difficult circumstances. So I don't know about you, but I would rather change my circumstance than have to trust God in those circumstances. But in a broken world, there are gonna be valleys that you and I go through. And Paul is introducing a new way. Really, he's introducing a new question because here's what I always think, I think most of us think, is why did this happen to me? To me, it's the most honest question when life gets hard, when there's a disappointment and when there's a discouragement. But did you notice Paul's question is different? Paul assumes God knows things he doesn't know. And Paul instead asks, how can this advance the gospel? I'm here, and now that I'm here, I may never get an answer to the why question. But I'm going to trust God with that in the meantime. I can ask, how can this advance the gospel? Now, I'm going to tell you, for some of this, this might be a more aspirational question to get to the place that we ask. But that's where I want to be. I want to be, God, I want to be faithful to you where you allow me to be, even if it's not where I want to be. I would rather be faithful to you in the valley than to not celebrate you on the mountaintop or even to celebrate you on the mountaintop if I'm going to leave you in the valley. And Paul gets to the valley and says, how can this advance the gospel? I can't help but think he must have been inspired by Joseph in the Old Testament. Remember when Joseph and his brothers had betrayed him and all of a sudden at the end, though they thought it was a death blow, joy just went through Joseph as it did Paul and all of a sudden God's kingdom is being uh, expanded. Look what Joseph said in Genesis chapter 50 verse 20. You intended to harm me but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. Paul is able to say, look, Caesar's court, I'm waiting and I know you arrested me here in Rome and you thought this was going to, you intended to harm me but God is using all this for good, the saving of many guards, right? He sees God advancing the gospel. I don't know about you, but I find that worry, disappointment, and fear steal my joy. And I don't know about you, but worry, disappointment, and fear, you don't have to teach me how to do those things. I just know how to do them. I, am, I have a front row seat to being able to access those emotions. But Paul is teaching us that we can respond to any circumstance with a calm confidence when we are convinced that God is still in the driver's seat. The Lord is near. Now, notice that Paul's troubles don't go away because he had joy in the midst of the difficult circumstance. The troubles are still there. In fact, joy is not the removal of difficult circumstances, but it is confidence in God through the difficult circumstances. And normally I see the size of my circumstance more than I see the size of God. And I've said this before, but I believe that's one of the reasons we come together because when we walk into this place, our circumstance is so big, and yes, God is there somewhere, but we see what we're dealing with. 
And as we greet each other, we begin to see a little bit more of God and a little bit less of our circumstance. As we sing, we see so much more of God and so much less of our circumstance. As we open his word, we see more of God and less of our circumstance. And as we shake hands on the way out, as we love each other here today, as you leave, hopefully God has gotten a little bigger in your eyes and your circumstances get a little bit smaller. And this is what Paul is inviting us into. It's not that your situation changes, but you remember that God is still in the driver's seat that God is still in charge, even when life is difficult. So back to our original question. What gives you joy? And the answer you already knew, but I'm going to remind it to you. No thing gives you joy. No thing gives you joy. In fact, what Paul does right out of the gate in Philippians 1 is he reminds us that joy is about a who more than a what. And most of us will spend a lot of money and a lot of time chasing a what and asking it to give us what only a who can. And saying, would you give me joy and it won't? Would you give me joy and it won't? And the whole time, Paul is reminding us it's about partnerships with other people and it's about a commitment and being faithful to God. That that's where joy comes, even in the dark days. How do you stop chasing What will not give you joy? Stop chasing a what? Stop chasing a thing. Think about the regrets that you're going to have in life. You and I will likely have regrets at seasons of our life. And in the end, you will have relational, not possessional, regrets. Who did you invest in? Who did you connect with? Who did you mentor? Who did you allow to mentor you? Who did you encourage? Who did you allow to encourage you? Who did you partner with in this life? That will be what matters in the end. Joy comes in a who, not a what. So let me close with this. Two ways that you can find joy just where you are today without changing anything. Number one is to invest intentionally in partnerships. This is why we just, hey, at the first of the year, we're going to launch a bunch of new groups again. If you haven't already gotten in a group, if you'll prioritize that, we believe that we're reminded here once again we need people in our lives who are praying and encouraging for us. Circles are better than rows. And then number two, and this is such a personal question, in this season, what circumstance are you tempted to keep you from joy? What is it in your life that if you could change, you would, and you're tempted to think it would suddenly give you joy could you take that to the father today and say God even here more than change my circumstance change my focus and rest in knowing that you're still in the driver's seat even in this season of my life even in this place see I want us to we've got time today I want to close a little differently I think what I'd like to do is just ask everybody if you would just close your eyes for a second and allow the privacy of the people who are beside you And I know as people come into a room like this that there are always people who walk in and with them come just a huge burden. And some of you walked in today carrying circumstances that you would have never seen coming, that you never wanted, and maybe the weight of that has gotten so heavy for you. Or maybe it's somebody you care about deeply and that burdens you knowing that they are overwhelmed by life circumstances right now. If that's you or someone that you really care about, I want to pray for you today. If that's you, just while every, everyone having their eyes closed for just a moment, if that's you with a burden or someone you love, would you just raise your hand so I can pray for you today? Yeah, yeah, 
many, many people. Thank you. Now here's what I want to do. I want to ask you to be bold while everyone continues to, just in this moment, keep their eyes closed and allow this space. Those of you who raised your hand, either on your behalf or somebody that you really care about, I want to pray for you, but would you do me a favor and would you just stand right where you are right now? Would you just stand so that I can pray for you? Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. And now what I'd love to do is those of you who are near someone who stood, would you stand beside them so that they don't stand alone? So that we partner in this moment because as we gather here today, it's a group of people, many who are believers and many came in today and now they're saying, I came in with a burden. We don't want them to stand alone. If you see somebody standing beside you, would you stand with them? Maybe you'd want to put your hand on their shoulder, but you just let them know they are not alone. You are here for them. You are here with them and they are not alone. If you see somebody standing, would you stand beside them? Thank you. Thank you, church. Let's pray. God, I know there are many in this room who didn't stand, didn't feel comfortable to stand, but you know they're holding on to something so heavy in their life. There are many here in this room who right now are standing because of something so heavy in their life or because there's someone they really care about that's going through something so difficult right now. God, we come to you knowing that you are near. God, that you promise us, you tell us over and over again that you are near us when we're hurting. You are nearer to us when we feel overwhelmed and crushed, when we feel broken. You are actually nearer to us. God, I pray that those who are standing today, they would experience an awareness of your nearness of your presence. Lord, you promise that you are always in control. You always sit on your throne. And in this moment where our circumstance seems so big, God, may we see you as bigger. May we see you as still sovereign. And Lord, you promise that you will never leave us, you will never forsake us. May we trust you, Father, right here, right now. God, we need you. We are so grateful and that you are faithful to us, and ultimately may through this season you advance the gospel. For your glory, Father, we continue to lean on you in new ways. In even our circumstances, may they not prevent our joy. I pray in Jesus' name, amen.